Welcome to Hollywood 2.0, this is Peter Katz. On today's show we have Jay Jolie, the founder of the digital ad agency, Dime Rocker, and the film accelerator, Sineku. Sineku is a very unique entertainment company. It's a platform where filmmakers could submit trailers for movies that are not even made yet. And over a period of time, fans could vote up which ones they like and share them. And the best one will receive up to a million dollars to produce a feature film version of their trailer. And this movie will be shown in theaters all across Canada. Sinaku being the film accelerator and Dime Rocker being a boutique uh, digital agency, both located in uh, Gastown, Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, so yeah, um, House Sinecu was formed inside Dime Rocker. So yeah, I, I, I founded uh, Dime Rocker about, I guess almost four years ago now, um, built it up. We're a very uh, tech-enabled agency. We build a lot of stuff that's known now as like gamification, second screen, social TV. For people like CBC, we work with Telus, we work with YTV, Weinstein's we've done work for, Disney, stuff like that, big branded properties. And we ba basically build these really cool, sticky experiences, could range from a social game to really cool social voting component with missions and all of those achievements from leaderboards that really engage fans um, and either uh, create that experience between episodes of television uh, help market a film or work synchronously potentially with uh, TV as we're doing with the new YTV show. Um, through these learnings and creating this playbook over the last, uh, you know, let's just call it last three years because we had to build our big back end, our big technology first. Um, and this technology is actually called Dime Rocker. It's our tech stack. And uh, this is what enables us to move really fast and get. Uh, like an experience to market in under two months, that minimum viable product, and then from there we iterate based on how the uh, the audience is using it. Um, one of the other things we that's big with us that people love is uh, we we do have a a big data layer with data visualization. Um, so uh, we you know not only driving audience but also measuring uh, the audience in terms of engagement, retention, reach, sentiment, stuff like that. Um, it was during this time, especially, you know, I, I'm located here in Vancouver, but, you know, in Canada, 80% of my English language clients are in Toronto because uh, that's where uh, the media business is centralized here. It was, you know, my background before I became an entrepreneur and started these two companies, I actually worked in film and TV in Toronto for almost 10 years. And I was actually in the music industry before that, um, where I still hung around when I would go to Toronto to meet with my clients, which is about every two to three weeks, I'm actually in Toronto next week. Uh, I would, uh, you know, go late night after work with, for beers with my, my old uh, independent filmmaker friends. And uh, because I'd been away from it for a couple of years, there was a lot of, you know, I'd listen to all the trials and tribulations they were going through trying to get their films made. And I totally remembered this stuff. And it was part of the reasons that I became an entrepreneur because I was really kind of, um, you know, I became frustrated with how the, the, the systems in place like distribution and marketing and how kind of short-sighted 
some of it is. And when you and, say short-sighted, uh, what would you, uh, what would be the challenges when you would deal with uh, those or you know circumstances? As you said, that just kind of illustrated a whole. Well, what, what were, what did you encounter during that that kind of led you to that direction? Well, some of the stuff that it was because I was, you know, I worked my way up through the industry and I was starting to produce my own stuff. I had a couple of projects fall apart, but my big thing is I've always kind of, you know. As well as being a lover of content, like being a child of cinema, I also love like the Valley and Palo Alto, and kind of said, and you know, in a, in a different life, I would uh, love to have, you know, basically I, the whole idea of having a startup and doing all that stuff was very exciting. And coming to Vancouver, actually, that kind of second life came true. Um, but what I was frustrated with is when I was in Toronto, I had all these ideas around uh, the web and putting, you know. Um, building what is, you know, now people kind of call transmedia. But, uh, you know, about four, five years ago, let's say, when I would discuss these with producers, they thought it's like, oh, you can't make money on the interwebs. It's a waste of time. Uh, you know, you should put all your money on the screen. Like it was very, the people, you know, those gatekeepers really, um, you know, their idea of a digital, digital strategy at the time, and so to some part still is. Um, and they weren't, even, you know, and they weren't even into Web 2.0. They're still, very, they were very into these big, heavy flash sites. And I kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit more of a leading edge thinker in terms of where technology and content are going. I would say, no, no, you really have to, you know, the the, the web and especially the social web that's coming because at the time, you know, Facebook was coming off campuses and there's this whole other thing, this big movement building and cloud computing that they just didn't see. Um, and it was, I just became very frustrated because I did see it very clearly. Um, so that that was kind of from my point of view, um, you know. And I had the opportunity. I, my girlfriend had just gotten a big job in Vancouver, so I was kind of seeing her long distance. And I started to uh, kind of connect with a lot of those original cats who pretty much invented Web 2.0, like in Gastown and Yaletown here in Vancouver, like you know the Flickers of the world. And that kind of thing. And then I had this big idea to start. You know, I said, you know, I, there's this really this big opportunity. It's going to be coming. Um, you know, to to build this uh, um, basically something that can get these really killer, like what I'm doing now with Dime Rocket, these really cool kind of social gamified experiences to market quickly. Because I knew how producers thought, and you know, they never thought about their digital strategy until after you know, their TV or, or, or film was done, and then generally they had two months to get that. So it's like a it big afterthought. So it's like a big afterthought for uh, the creators. They, they want to put out there and then those find an audience instantly. But in reality, there's so much noise, you have to really figure out a way to cut through it. Well, yeah, they, well, they're, they're big thing. Like the, the problem I had with linear media, and it's what we set out to prove with, uh, with Sinecu, is it? They think about the audience last in a lot of cases. They think of marketing last. They think of all this stuff after everything's been done. Where my big thing is with Sinecu, I said, no, that's the first thing we think about. We put the audience in the marketing first before we even start financing a project. Um, so I just saw a completely different world than they did. And so but how I built the agency was knowing that there was this flaw in the system. And being in Canada, there's also this thing called the Canadian Media Fund, that now producers were mandated to have a digital strategy. So I said, well, what if I could create this big, really cool technology that enabled me to get that experience to market in under two months? So my superpower would be speed. Um, and that's kind of what enabled me to get some traction really fast as I could deliver on that promise. And that's how even in, you know, when we first started, we had like 
Battle of the Blades, Cover Me Canada, you know, Craft Hockeyville. We were doing those all concurrently. Heartland, we were doing them all. Like, we basically had all that Sunday primetime kind of experience for CBC we managed to capture and kind of build off that. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the opportunity I saw. But, like, but my belief, you know, I never really wanted to be necessarily 100%. I, I love what we've created with Dime Rocker, but I also believe that digital agencies in my book and some people would disagree, should always be looking to create new product off their tech stack. Um, so, you know, when I saw this opportunity, when I was sitting down with these independent filmmakers, um, and I was listening to all the pain that was coming out of them, you know, now that I saw everything through an entrepreneur's lens, I said, well, where there's pain, there's opportunity. So I started to really, I kind of walked away from the table and kind of started to really look at the independent film market. And I was like, Hmm, I don't know what all these people are complaining about because I, I actually, when I looked at it through a different lens, I said, this is the best time maybe there's ever been to be an independent filmmaker, especially if you're making films that are under $5 million. Um, because right now, even in the market, there's really only two kinds of movies that make money anymore on a consistent, let's call it an ROI or return on investment basis. One of them's uh, films, those $100 million plus uh, Hollywood blockbuster tentpole bohemus. And the other are sub five million dollar independents. Everything else in between is actually very high risk and uh, and uh, and quite broken in terms of making their money back in a lot of cases. Um, so I said, well, wait a second, we we can make these kind of movies in almost any country in the world. Sub five million dollar really works, um, and especially if they're kind of more focused on more commercial genre genre style pictures like uh, thriller, horror, you know, sci-fi kind of stuff then they'd actually do even better. And a lot of these pictures don't even need that, what's called the first window or the theatrical to make their money back. They can actually make it back in like broadcast, VOD, Blu-ray, hotels, airplanes, all that stuff. But when they do get a theatrical, that's a huge multiplier effect on all those follow-on windows. And the cool part about it is I already had the technology to build that platform that could do basically everything we needed to do to find those filmmakers build an audience, um, find out where the audience is. And the last piece I needed was just I, I needed the theater. So, so I went to Michael Kennedy, who's the EVP of Cineplex um, uh, in, in Canada. He basically has almost an 80% market share. And I think it just went up this morning because they just bought uh, half of the Empire uh, cinemas out on the East Coast. So I think their market share went even up more. And so I went to him with this idea. I said, what if I could do this? And really, and, and this whole thing would be like really focused on, one, I w it's to identify um, basically new talent or surface existing talent that hadn't reached a critical mass. Two, we would de-risk new franchises, new stories, new IP, however you want to characterize that. Three, we would build audiences faster and earlier than ever before, even before we started financing. Four, we would reduce discovery costs across the board, not only in terms of how the audience found it, but me as a guy like Cineku is, like we're a, we're a studio, we're a platform, a studio model, that I don't really want to read like 300 scripts to try and find that one I want to make. I don't think that's efficient. And five, um, I, I wanted to be able to do what in the current system hadn't been done between script and screen, where 80% of that script to screen process in the traditional model can't be measured I actually wanted to measure it all and be able to create a playbook that I could 
iterate on and get better and better the more that I did it. Now he, you know, this um, this individual has all this, uh, you know, leverage of all these theaters that if he, you know, likes your concept, it's it's done. You have a you have a huge uh, network of of all that distribution. Did he have any initial reservations, or what? How fast was this uh, process to get him to sign on? Well, I did. I did a lot of my research when I went to him, and you know, the great thing is, you know, he does. You know, Cineplex is publicly traded. There's a lot you can find out just reading their quarterlies. Um, you know, and I, I had to really uh, sit down to him, but you know, I think, and he'll tell you better than me. But he was impressed because I actually just talked about the business. I wasn't trying to pitch him a movie concept or a story or. Or this, I was actually just saying, I think I have this model that can deliver not only audiences, but audi- like uh, films with a built-in audience to you. Um, and I can also tell you what, what theater we put the movie in, because I have this big, uh, you know, big data piece. Like I have four full-time uh, data analysts led by uh, a data scientist that works for me. So we can, and we built these algorithms uh, around things uh, for that we've already done, that we've done at a national scale. So he was really impressed by that. And he goes, Jay, look, if you can do everything, you say, yeah, we'll leave it in the theaters, no problem. And the funny thing is, so he was just on the, uh, he was one of our kind of, let's call them dragons or lions that was at Banff that was uh, basically put the top five on the hot seat, like asked him the tough questions. And I think he paid me the ultimate compliment. He goes, Jay, when I sat down with you that first, that first time, he goes, that was the last I thought I'd ever see see her here because he goes, I hear a lot of stuff all the time. And he goes, you're one of the few guys that actually delivered on it. Um, so he's really happy where everything was and the quality of the content we were able to surface. So, you know, um, so, yeah, we, you know, it, it was, it's not easy doing a startup, that's, especially when you're disrupting a, a business that really doesn't want to change, which they're really used to making money in a certain way and are going to go kicking and screaming to the bitter end to uh to protect tug which is a startup which allows people to in a sense pre-buy uh tickets to decide what movies play at a theater so it's mm-hmm. almost a you know video on demand is theater on demand so it mostly feels that the movie theaters could become a lot more of a personal experience and you lend that to like the rocket horror picture show or art house theaters that have certain films that are more uh, specialized but i think that you know you're part of the movement that's driving in that direction yeah, well, and, and Tug is uh, very much, uh, uh, I, I think it's a great, a great uh, um, startup as well. Uh, and and they, they recognize what I recognize is like theater owners, are they have inventory to fill. Um, and it's not unlike Uber, what they're doing for taxis or anything else like that. There is all of this time where there's an opportunity to use this platform, the platform, i.e. the theater, um, to create a special experience. It could be that one time like a pop-up film festival or it could be like what we're doing which is a very tactically deployed uh, film run. Um, and when you have those big partners, um, like you know in the States, like 95% of the theaters are held by three companies like AMC, uh, Cinemark and Regal in the, in the major centers especially. When you, The great thing about theatrical is like in Canada, I just had to have a meeting with one guy in the states you you know have a meeting with two or three people you get uh you know tons and tons of market share um and the cool thing is uh in terms of aggregating audience if you have the technology and you have the back end and you have the experience there's no gatekeepers there's no i don't have to ask permission to go 
and build an audience for my my films. You know, someone recently described us as the uh, smallest, biggest studio in Canada right now because <laughs> we're got, we're just tiny, but we have this huge reach. Um, that, that makes sense. And uh, along with this this giant movie theater chain, who are your key partners and investors? Uh, well, my my key well my key partners uh, right now. Um, I don't actually have a lot of. I have some really great ones on the film side that are actually bringing, uh, going to be bringing uh, value in kind, and uh, I've uh, given a little bit of money to be on the platform to get exposed to the filmmaker side. People like William F. White's uh, EP Canada, that's a payroll company. Canadian Film Capital that does tax credits. Um, there's uh, uh, a company here in Vancouver that deals with red cameras called Raw Camera. We're going to do a little partnership with, um, and they're going to provide cameras for these guys. Um, that's more like that. Um, Telefilm is a big partner that just came on. That's been they gave us a bunch of promotion money, both for Con when we went there, and also recently Banff. And we're going to be doing something like Lee TIFF and uh, at uh, a, the American Film Market with them too. Um, uh, and now we're actually looking out to. Uh, really big brands to kind of come in so we can finance actually more pictures. So we'll provide that kind of, uh, to be that cultural benefactor. So they we actually give them exposure on our platform and uh, they get to, you know, um, buy rights to things like to be, you know, the accelerator fund on our platform so we can actually finance more than one or, one or two movies a year. Um, so that's part of the, the growth strategy moving forward. Um, and because we've aggregated 60% of our audience is actually 18 to 34 because, you know, I believe the social web, and it's something I've been trying to tell people for a while, the social web is actually a broadcast medium, just like television and just like radio. And, and just like those broadcast mediums, it has its audience that behaves in a kind of way, a certain way, and it needs its own formats. And to a certain degree, um, that kind of, that really audience, that stickiness is the format we built around Cineku, which is around, you know, um, really providing lots of really cool things for the audience to do to engage. And again, that disintermediation layer, that getting rid of the middlemen so the filmmakers really can connect with the audience and, 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 uh, and glean both, uh, you know, a fan base, uh, some input and feedback on their, on their story, all that kind of stuff as they so fit to make it better. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like you're removing the useless middle management out of the equation, so it's so it's direct to the consumer as much as possible. Yeah, and it's quite frankly in the current system why innovation's so hard is because it's so fat with those middlemen, those those ones who are just taking, you know, they're just taking their piece out of the middle. Those are the ones that are really, you know, um, uh, keeping the you know, for instance, uh, a, a lot of the film industry from moving faster in terms of innovating faster um, and just these really old processes that are set up especially when it comes to you know moving more towards a world of date and date releasing and I actually believe that that will be one key if once people embrace it that you're gonna solve like right over overnight like 50 percent or more of piracy issues that currently exist now um, I read that you're part of the tech accelerator grow labs what did you learn from that experience um, well, that's why we call Cineku a film accelerator. So I'm a big believer in um, that model. Um, and funny thing is, I'm actually a graduate of two accelerators now. So Dime Rocker, the, the technology, um, came out of Boot Up Labs that no longer exists. 
Um, but uh, that's who gave me my first capital to grow the company, and I grew that company up to about where it is now, almost 20 full-time staff plus contractors. And then, um, and the funny thing is, when I mentioned this to to Mike Edwards, who was actually you know one of the key guys running Grow Lab, and who actually he he put money into me at that very first beer we had. Um, I was an accelerator inside an accelerator. So the cool thing about an accelerator is. Um, the, you know, the way there's a, a bunch of people will describe it, but the simplest way to describe it is it kind of provides this really tough love structure. So it, it would have normally taken me two years to do on my own um, in terms of building up a network and finding those people to invest in the idea and all that stuff. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're, a, it's a bunch of serial entrepreneurs, super angels and VCs that come together with their networks and their cash. And basically, for three months, they kind of kick the crap out of you. And if you can take it, they capitalize your business. If you can take it and get to market. So I said, that's a really interesting concept to bring. And that's what Cineco is. We're a film accelerator. You know, you come in with your team, and then in three months, you'll know if you're optioned. And and for a few, that they'll very quickly get a deal directly from us um, in terms of getting financing and that theatrical piece. Um, so we very much use this a similar model. But then we kind of combine that to make it really interesting for the audience to come in. So, because a lot of people say, "Oh, you're just a contest," I'm like, "Well, not really, because there's you don't really win because it's kind of recoupable financing." Well, all we've done is really it's we're a transparent, competitive studio model. Like, one thing have, people have to realize about film studios, or even like here in Canada, like Telefilm, it's very competitive. But the only difference is it's in a black box, and no one can see what's going on between the scenes in terms of how they make their decisions. Um, which are very gut-based decisions based on comparables and packaging and all these old ways they used to put movies together, where we said, no, let's do it different. Let's pull the walls off the studio, make it competitive, but also make it very transparent so the audience can see what's going on and see how the, you know, the, the process is going and who's moving to the top and be a part of it. So that was our big innovation to get the audience in early and to start driving audience to uh, these projects. It's, uh, it's fascinating. I've noticed that uh, certain producers and financiers from the film world have started to look to uh, tech to change how they view their business models. Uh, soon we'll be speaking to a fellow who um, is starting the Dogfish Accelerator, but it's not for directors. It's focused on producers. And um, the individual comes from kind of a world, mixed world of tech and film. And he wants these producers to start coming up with more innovative models to uh, approach film. So I started seeing that there is a little bit of that overlap happening. And you also see in talent agencies where they're starting to get involved in some type of like their own VC funds. So have you noticed any interesting um, like overlap recently? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, before, like, you have to realize that, um, you know, and you just the interesting thing is the, the state of California, like, uh, you know, kind of the, the epicenter of both, uh, you know, tech and content. So... You know, in Southern California, you got Hollywood that's all about the content, and then in Northern California, you got the tech. Uh, and neither the two shall meet. Like, it's almost like there's like this weird, weird little genteel civil war going on. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, when you actually look, uh, you know, at the film business, a lot of people talk about the art and the creativity, but it's, I actually believe it's a craft. Like, it's equal amounts of technology and creative because you know a, a piece even in the old days a camera was a very sophisticated piece of technology um, celluloid and all those little silver halide crystals is very sophisticated and in fact if you really look at the history of 
uh, film in terms of even where that whole 24 frames a second was in, uh, like discovered and the, the idea of motion picture was actually in Palo Alto was this guy named Moybridge, I think it's like 1898, he was settling a bet to see if a horse, you know, all four legs left the ground at the same time. So the funny thing is the idea of motion picture is actually born in what is now, you know, the epicenter of, of like Facebook and all of that stuff, but the PayPal, they all came from Palo Alto, where Stanford is, basically. Um, and I think even if you look back, even I think the first kind of cathode ray was actually invented in a, in a, in a garage in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's funny how, you know, technology, so, so what you have uh, right now, you know, for the longest time you had Hollywood who, you know, loved content, scared shitless of technology because technology means trade change and then you had Palo Alto who they didn't content was too risky tech they got so neither the two would talk but I think as we move forward and you see it with Netflix models and stuff that we're seeing more tech enabled content being done um, and as we scream like we're at an exponential rate of change and you start to see the effect that uh, over the top services and smart TVs and all of these kind of uh, distribution channels where me as a single person can essentially you know, on, on iTunes be in 174 countries within a couple of weeks um, with my content if I want to be. At the entertainment industry, they almost want to get attached to nostalgia or certain language or certain views. It's almost like you can't say it's a series if it's online. It's a web series. So we had web, but you know the web is merely pipes to get you the content, you know? Yep. So it's almost like people are so in love with, well, this is how it happened, and they never question why. It's almost like, so you're, you're a producer. Well, well, I'm, if you're a producer, you must want scripts because that's what people always got, their scripts. But then you see a, you and a few innovators, uh, like Force Whitaker of Box, it's saying, why do we always have to look at just scripts? Why don't we look at, actually, is it, is it cinematic? But something that you read on the page uh, yep. may be interesting, but you actually capture it with the director's vision, it may not work. So it's it's it's, it's weird that it's weird that something that makes so much sense is so alien to the most of the industry at the moment. Oh yeah, and that's my and that was big my big thing. Like we don't even look at a script unless you get down to the top forty. Like where it's all about can you move a camera, can you deliver, and it's actually we're getting people to market. So they actually most of the the weekly missions we had people do to package and show off their creativity and their kind of entrepreneurship, like we're trying to create film entrepreneurs. Now, you know, you mentioned um, Dogfish, the accelerator. My, you know, I, I appreciate what Dogfish is doing, but my big thing is there's, you gotta be really careful with the word accelerator and, and, and how you use it, in my opinion, just cause like, my thing about an accelerator is you gotta realize people in an accelerator are always going to, the, going to market and working towards uh, working software and creating traction. Um, and that's what we wanted to do is, you know, we believe this isn't the age of the producer. We believe this is the age of the filmmaker. Um, that it's actually, you know, it's, it takes, it's more than just, you know, in Canada for 20 years, we've had like the Canadian Film Center, 25 years, that have been training these producers. It's all about the producer and packaging and teaching the producer, the producer, the producer. Where it's like, we're starting to see stuff like, um, the, the titles don't matter. Just like in a startup, you're a founder. You know, I don't get my CEO title until much later, until I've proven it out. Everybody's kind of a founder, and I really look at films like these kind of startups. Yeah, there might be more people like 
there is a script there and there is someone that operates a camera, but because non-linear and all this stuff, uh, editing and HD cameras are ubiquitous, and you know you can build an audience very very quickly by even just getting something on on Vimeo or something like that that starts to build traction around um, what you're doing. There's a way for filmmakers now just to have what I call working software, which is like we start with a film trailer, like a faux trailer. So you're already out in the market, um, and maybe in that group there is actually not a producer in the bunch. It's actually might be a writer, a director, and a social media strategist in our case that gets to market and starts to build these. Like one of the the big projects that came out of here that one of the biggest producers in Canada is very interested in right now are three 18-year-olds from Edmonton who have never even been to film school, never even really gave themselves titles. They only they only adopted them because that's what they thought they should do. But they built all their own costumes, did all of their own special effects. They acted in it because they didn't know any actors. Uh, you know, the, it's just, and they compose their own music. So it really is like a true startup mentality. So my big thing is I, in our accelerator, you always week to week, you're always making movies. Um, and there are things that are designed to package and get you to market. And within three months, you could have your financing. So that's where, you know, in terms of taking the word from a tech accelerator, you got to, I think there's a lot of people who like to use that, but understand that it's not just about teaching a certain class of people how to be better producers, in my opinion. This is my opinion. No, I see what you're saying. So you offer the viewpoint that, in a sense, that uh, it's like when you look at like programmers are building the initial stages of a tech startup, and then the business side comes in possibly later as they have a more of a working product. Yeah, that's and, exactly it. And that would be kind of your comparison. But on the flip side, sometimes you'll see like accelerators, they'll put together a team they might have a business side to it, but you know, I, I see what you're saying is that, in a sense, you're kind of promoting the prototype, and then you know, it creates gets momentum, and then you mentioned that with this prototype, a big producer wanted to come on board who was able to navigate the certain political you know environment that these young filmmakers not, might be uh, not uh, at this moment able to do themselves. Yeah, well, we've essentially like the other, so we optioned ten projects and. You know, I'm making one, but the other ones, uh, you know, we're partnering up with other producers who said, this is awesome. This is, this is a really easy thing for me to take to market to go to AFM and make this happen because it is so robust. So, you know, like I said, I believe this is the, the era of the entrepreneur, and I believe it's the, in terms of looking at film, it's the filmmaker entrepreneur. It's not like the, necessarily just the producer entrepreneur. Like, uh, so that's, you know, that's... Um, you know, when I, I, that, that's all. That's just my opinion. I just believe that we can get to market faster with an idea and really leverage. Once you've built up that, that audience, you have to maintain that audience. You know, no, it, uh, it makes perfect sense. And maybe when the, they met Dogfish Accelerator with producers, maybe they said, hey, as producers start coming up with innovative models like yourself. So maybe not saying, hey, make traditional yep. films. Maybe they're trying to take them thinking outside the yep. box and having them experiment too. But uh, moving sure. on, when you, sure. when you talk about minimum viable product, uh, we were talking about these trailers, and it's remarkable what technology allows you to create now. Like I remember I produced a film and it was on 16 millimeter, so challenging to work in that medium. But now it's almost like your iPhone could shoot something that looks pretty good. I was wondering, what do you think the, like, the typical medium budget was for your uh, trailer submissions? 
Oh, I think, you know, some of them say 250 bucks. A lot of them did it with sweat equity. Um, the interesting thing is when you look at, I think, nine of the ten projects in our top ten, uh, they were, other than those 18-year-olds, all of them had actually some experience working in films. So they actually, when you look at kind of, and that's why I kind of like to say film's a craft, it's not an art, um, because they've been craftsmen working towards being master craftsmen. Um, so, you know, a lot of the 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 filmmakers actually have been uh, working as cooks in someone else's kitchen and now they want to open their own restaurant is kind of an interesting analogy so um, and so realistically more than anything it was blood and sweat that yeah. made these prototypes it wasn't hey take mortgage your house or anything like that or no, it, was, no. it was simply just you know get your friends together and make something cool yeah no it's, it was just about how much time you want to commit some people did Put money in, I'm sure, um, but people routinely put twenty thousand dollars into film schools every year. Like you know, the you know one of them said my budget was basically two hundred fifty dollars to do my trailer, and that was just to buy the material for the costume. And uh, but we had everything else, and we big borrowed and steeled, and and that's the startup mentality. Like it's getting to market with that twenty five thousand dollars. That's why it's such an exciting time to be an entrepreneur because you know even in the nineties, well. Even open up a startup, then you had to go first. You had to go buy, you know, you literally had to drop like a hundred or two hundred k just to get your server plugged in, and buy the physical hardware to run your business off of. Well, now you got the cloud. You got like stuff like EC2. So the speed to market and those barriers to entry are actually going away, and it's becoming a lot cheaper to do it. You know, one of the reasons for creating Cineku in the platform is we realized filmmakers were doing this anyway. There was tons of these faux trailers out there they were creating. But they were all creating them in an island, so they were all they were individual Facebook pages. They were individual um, kind of uh, you know web pages, and we were like, well, what if we could aggregate this into a big country and create all these discovery channels and force people by giving them incentives through gamification to actually put support behind multiple projects, where you know the top super fan would be rewarded just like anybody else. So, um, so speaking of that, what is your metric to measure the viability of a product? And to choose one of your top fans. Um, oh, there's a whole bunch of things. It's not one metric, unfortunately. Um, um, so initially, when we look at it, we look at things like, you know, we both look at both structured and unstructured data. Um, we look at um, uh, so what that means is so there's concepts we we discuss. It's called you know engagement, retention, reach. Yeah, views, shares, all the social activities. So we tie together Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Reddit, and Tumblr. And we, and we analyze all these things around a project. We, we look at the whole ecosystem. We also look at earned media, like traditional media. So in 90 days, those, you know, the filmmakers of that first cohort of filmmakers created almost 450 pieces of earned media. That's print, radio, TV, and kind of blogs. So we track that as well. Like, you know, the, you know, Wolf Cop, the one we chose to, uh, the first one we chose to put finance behind, they have like fans in all different parts of the world. They have people writing about them in Japan. They have fan art coming out of South, Af South Africa. Like it's, and they haven't made a movie yet. People are just uh, crazy about them. Plus they were going to comic conventions and taking Wolf Cop on their own. It was just an IP that had tremendous sentiment around it too. Like, what people were saying on Facebook and Twitter about it. So we look at that too, where that's, you know, more unstructured data. 
um, where structured would be things like, uh, you know, male, female, uh, demographic related stuff, behaviors, uh, when it comes to social activity, et cetera, and so forth. Um, so that's some of the, like the behind the scenes kind of more mathy stuff, but a lot of it's, there's a little bit of gut, uh, well, quite a bit of gut as well. Like, especially, um, the scripts factor huge. Like we have like from across Canada, we had people, um, evaluating the scripts that come from, you know, have a good history of as script doctors or writers themselves, um, that would say, you know, uh, yeah, this, this can be done for this. This can't be, these guys are totally out to lunch. So there's a lot of due diligence we were doing behind the scenes as well with the filmmakers to make sure they could execute, um, on time or on budget. And then we actually look at their CVs. Have they done stuff before? They've done short films. Have they delivered stuff? Um, so there's a lot of factors that played in. And then we had mentors and advisors kind of like one of the things about optioning 10 and taking it to con was so Brad Pellman, who's our head of distribution and sales and is very traditional. He took them to international buyers and say, what do you think of this? And would show the package, show the trailers, show the mission videos. Um, and uh, really get a sense of, is there a market for this movie? And that helped us make decisions as well in terms of the uh, who would pitch in the final five. So um, in terms of there being one metric, there really wasn't. It was a combination of, of sure, the audience and what we were able to aggregate in terms of the telemetry and all that, um, both social and uh, traditional. And then also just looking at what the market will bear when we go out to, to sell um, and uh, that kind of does that, does that answer your question? Oh, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah. you know, as you move forward, what what did you learn from your experience for this uh, first chapter of Sinecu, and how that'll affect how you approach you know the next uh, wave of uh, of this of this program? Uh, sure. Well, this is kind of what we called. It's kind of like you know, it, it was our initial pilot. It was we wanted to get a speed to market. We knew this that this idea was a, a was timely. Um, so one of the things what we really understood was how to really build out. We feel we've gotten pretty you know the, the fan or the filmmaker side that kind of more B two B side. Um, we put a lot of effort into getting that right. And uh, and one of the things now is really to dial in and we wanted to put just because of time and money and. Uh, and resources naturally. Um, we had to pick our battles in certain cases. Uh, we were learning while we were going. So the, the brave filmmakers who were in the pilot were, they're what you call early adopters. But we also know there's tons of filmmakers that were, well, if I knew it was gonna be this, I would have done it, which are, you know, like any technology or any new uh, um, kind of program are the wait and seers um, that don't necessarily buy, buy into it right away. So. We're going to be announcing our next intake in uh, for Canada at TIFF uh, in September, likely. Um, and so the reason being is is because we want to do this biannually. Um, and for when that first uh, wave of films hit theaters, we'll have actually doubled down on the potential audience and used the platform to basically market to an even bigger aggregated audience. Um, the other thing is we're moving aggressively. We want to be in Australia and New Zealand. We're in talks with some uh, players down there and talks with the U.S. and the U.K. as well as to bring uh, the format into uh, the next territories to start rolling it out internationally. Um, so this is kind of, and, you know, I always say with anything we do, you know, this year's for uh, learning and next year's for earning. We're always, you know, trying to sharpen our saw and, and be the best we can be, and that's what, 
iterative kind of agile approach to um, a, you know uh, a company like a startup is all about. Well, you know that's is a um, it's ins- it's inspiring to um, you know other filmmakers and producers out there. They hear that people are not just doing the same song and dance as they're trying to disrupt you know old models that need to need to be disrupted. You know, so I really appreciate you having you on my show. And the last question is. Uh, what are your favorite books and blogs? Is there any type of material that really inspires you? Uh, favorite books? Uh, you know, I could always go back to like stuff like. Hmm, that's always it's always hard when people ask me my favorite books. You know, I could say like for me, um, even becoming an entrepreneur and reading the Lean Startup was a big kind of like, holy shit moment. Sorry, I mean uh, holy. Uh, you can. You, is it okay to swear on your show? You can say shit all you want. Okay, sing great. Um, uh, but just in terms of turning my mind around from that kind of linear media model to that whole like agile, fail fast, fail hard approach, which is what we encourage in our filmmakers, that idea of not being precious and just driving forward. Um, you know, uh, a lot of stuff that I read uh, is, you know, a lot of different feeds. Like I, I'm a big fan of things like Fast Company and TechCrunch. I uh, love, uh, you know, reading stuff like Hope on Film and IndieWire as well. Um, you know, most of my the stuff that I aggregate is, uh, you know, is is fairly much on my iPad and through Flipboards and stuff like that. These days, um, just trying to think of some some books that I have piled up beside my bed that I need to get back to. I was really reading the biography of uh, Sammy Davis Jr. of all things, which was fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Uh, yeah, um, I, uh, one of the big one of the big things is, and trying to you know still be a lover of cinema and put a certain amount of my time aside to just enjoy the thing that kind of brought this passion project to life. Um, I've always really really loved. I've always worked, and my very first job was as an usher on an army base in Germany, a Canadian army base, and I've worked in video stores, and you know I've I've always worked in media and in and cinema because when you're an army brat and you move around every Every two years, the inside of a cinema is one of the things that stays a constant. So for me, it's always had a very special place um, uh, for me. And uh, you know, and I do think that there's a, a whole ton of opportunity in still creating those event-style spaces. Like one of the things I try and tell people is, people are like, "Oh yeah, well you're a tech guy." I'm like, "I'm not a tech guy. I actually went to mu- school for music composition. Is uh, I was a musician for five years professionally. Like you." A lot of places that people look at an entrepreneur and they're like, well, you're not a creative. I'm like, I've never been more creative than I was as an entrepreneur. And the great thing is because it's kind of more visionary, big idea stuff you're bringing to market and you're surrounding yourself with the best, like warrior class people that are standing side by side to enable this vision. So you're not only creatively uh, focused, but you're also business and marketing focused. And that's one of the things we're trying to impart on our filmmakers is making them warrior-class filmmaking entrepreneurs that are self-sustainable, that can make money, that can move forward and kind of like, that have this whole other skill set that's not rooted in an old model. Um, So, and you know, for me, it's always been very important since becoming an entrepreneur that I put about 10% of my time back into an ecosystem. So I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs. I sit on, I'm a national advisor to the Academy of Cinema and Television here in Canada. I sit on the, the board of the Vancouver Film Festival, I'm an advisor at Emerging Media and X Summit. So I, I do believe in giving away a lot of my 
knowledge as much as possible. Um, that's the stuff that really moves me and listening and sitting on panels and doing things like this where the feedback and the, the really great, you know, the hard questions come that really challenge me and say, hey, Jay Jolly, you know, I really believe you're full of shit. Tell me how you can say something like that. And, and that's the stuff that kind of gets me up every day. Um, did, the, did I answer your question there or not really? Oh, no, no, that no, makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, hey. Thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, I really look forward to seeing um, the the projects that came out of this uh, wave, and then the future waves of Cinecoop. Yeah, and uh, and other people have asked about other. Yes, we're going to be doing a telecoup for TV pilots, and yes, we're going to be doing something for composers and bands called Sonicu. So uh, keep an eye out. Oh, awesome! Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. You could check me out at petercats.net and email me questions and feedback at catsfilms at gmail.com. I'm talking.